0: Karen Chi is a writer and performer for Late Night with Seth Meyers. She's previously written for the Golden Globes and the Amazon Prime Video special Yearly Departed, has developed TV pilots for Netflix and Comedy Central, and has published humor pieces in The New Yorker and McSweeney's, all before the age of 27. No wonder she made Variety's Power of Young Hollywood list, as well as Forbes 30 Under 30. She sat down with me to talk about getting an early start on her comedy career, how Twitter did or didn't help her get her dream gig, and how she has managed supporting her grandparents in Korea during the pandemic while still writing remotely for late night and picking up a new gig writing for Pachinko on Apple TV+. Plus. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, Karen she uh, last things first, yeah, how long have you been commuting from Korea?
1: Um, yeah, I commuted daily from the other side of the world. <laughs> um, I actually well I moved to Korea in the summer of 2020 uh, at the height of the first big wave of covid and um, thought I would only be there for a month or two and ended up. I'm still kind of living there. All my stuff is there. I'm just back in the U S for a few months and I'm headed back to Korea in June. Yeah.
0: And you did that for your grandparents. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so kind of you to know that. Um, yeah, I went because my grandma got very sick quite suddenly and I was like, you know what? We're all working remotely. I was in a small apartment in Brooklyn with two roommates. I was like, okay, (laughs) I can go. I can help out my grandma. We're really close. So it sort of made sense for me to be there.
0: Okay, well, I want to ask you more about Korea, but let me put a pin in that for now, because you're, you, you grew up in California, though, right? Northern? I did,
1: yeah. Born and raised in the Bay Area.
0: And you're a Harvard grad, but did you, did you already know going into Harvard that you were going to pursue a career in comedy?
1: No, I didn't. You know, I was really interested in comedy in high school and I was very passionate about this. sounds so dorky, but um, I was not a very funny kid. I was more of a square. I was just a big nerd who like, you know, was silly with my friends and stuff. And so I did a lot of like improv and sketch comedy with my friends and going to college knew I really was interested in trying comedy more seriously, but I was trying to keep an open mind about other career options and things like that too so yeah yeah yeah
0: okay did you go to the comedy studio a lot while you were there
1: no I actually didn't and I wish I had because it's like pretty much right on campus I (laughs) I, yeah when I was at school I didn't do any stand-up that was something I started doing after I graduated and had moved to New York and stuff so okay in college I was doing a lot of improv and sketch and writing yeah
0: did you have a different plan before comedy took over
1: no I don't know if I had a plan at all <laughs> yeah
0: no, it's, it's, it's fair that it's fair that you didn't I only asked because you know I I'm a Princeton grad uh-huh and I don't think my parents I don't I mean they probably would have sent me either or let me go either way but if they had known I would have gone into journalism I don't know how it is if they would have been quite as excited. Really? Excited. A <laughs> and then he's gonna be a newspaper reporter. Oh. Okay, wait.
1: That's crazy because I think Princeton to journalism makes a lot of sense. Or that's um, that's David Remnick is like a Princeton journalism guy, right? He that's is, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. we both wrote for the Nassau Weekly, although years Whoa. apart. Yeah. But well this will show my age though. When I was when I was in college, I had no idea you could get an internship at a late night T V show. Yeah. But you I did was. that twice, right?
1: I did. Well, I I think the first time I'm trying to remember. The first year, because I I just applied to all of them. And it's always such a crapshoot. It's really most of the time it's like, are you the daughter of a writer? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Um and there was just such a crapshoot and I went for it and then I happened to get two the same summer. And it worked out great because I remember one of them is three days a week and the other one's two days a week. One was paid and one was not. <laughs> so then I did I, one. I know they were,
0: uh, you worked at The Late Show?
1: Yes, with yes. With Stephen
0: Colbert and Full Frontal with Sam B. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So
0: which one paid and which one didn't?
1: <laughs> The late show paid and full frontal didn't.
0: <laughs> well, late show had that CBS money and yeah. full frontal was the TBS.
1: Right, 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 and um, yeah, it was great. That was on during the weekend. I remember on the weekends I was working for my friend's mom and stuff, like sorting through <laughs> stuff at her house, and so it was a really, it was like a, in my mind it was like a big summer. I felt like I grew career-wise in terms of learning what I wanted to do and also being like, oh, okay, I guess if I want to do this, I have to be mentally prepared to be working all the time (laughs) to make ends meet. Oh, no.
0: I mean, I think it was, I interned the summer before my senior year at my hometown paper
1: Connecticut,
0: the Hartford Current in Connecticut. Cool. And I think that summer internship at the newspaper, like seeing everything, the newsroom and seeing everything, I think that really solidified my career goal is yeah. was that what happened with you with late night TV was getting to watch Sam B and her staff or Stephen Colbert and his staff.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um I mean I mostly I think the thing that I still really like about comedy is that it's a mix of you personally putting your putting in your hours and enjoying that process and the other half is you just hang out with other funny friends and joke around all the time, you know, and that's <laughs> such a delight. I, I can't believe you get paid to do that. I can't believe I get paid to do that. Um So I think being at those shows and seeing what those writer's rooms were like, because they're also pretty different styles of rooms from what I remember. And so it was really cool to learn that there's a whole kind of variety of late night shows also. Mm -hmm. And also, I just had no idea that there were so many staffers on a single show. That blew my mind. I had never been, you know, privy to the behind the curtain of TV shows before. So that was...
0: Wait, so what did you think? Did you think it was just like Stephen Colbert and two other people like, coming <laughs> up know, with the I, entire show? Or? I
1: just didn't know there were like, you know, like 12 production assistants mm-hmm. and like so many people who are producing every single segment on the show. And so they're like, oh, yes, right, cause they're I,
0: guess, author, I guess, and yeah, I guess, it's, I guess, especially like in modern times, they don't show you don't get to see the credits as often at the end of an episode that's where they used sure. to you, you would see like a whole scroll and you go oh there's like a thousand people who work at saturday night live
1: right right i actually when i was in high school i got really kind of religious about looking at the credits but i think i was only looking at it for writing credits and i was trying okay. to see which writers wrote for which shows and would sort of trace the careers of different writers to see what other shows they've worked on and stuff uh, wait but i'm curious about you and journalism how did you fall into that in college
0: I had edited my high school newspaper. So it wasn't completely out of the blue. Sure. But I think I sort of ended up there by default because I majored in politics. Mm. I thought about going to law school, but that was I wanted to be a judge and I didn't realize you had to be a lawyer first, and I didn't want to be a lawyer. (laughs) Right. And then I the more I studied politics, the less that I wanted to actually work in government.
1: Yeah. And I felt
0: journalism. Much like comedy, journalism, you could be on the outside observing it and commenting on it without really, like, having to sell your soul.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
0: I mean, I suppose in journalism and in comedy, you could end up doing that if you worked for a boss that you hated, but they paid really well. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm going to work for this company or I'm going to work for this TV host, even though I think they're evil. But they pay the bills and I have this nice house.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that, is that was never big. me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm and, glad that wasn't you. you and, see- I
0: doubt, and I doubt that Seth Meyers gives off that kind of vibe where it's like, oh, I hate this job, but the pay is too <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, no, I get paid a million dollars a week. <laughs> no, he's, he's the best. He's genuinely a really kind person. So it's really great to work for him.
0: So while you were still at Harvard, okay, so you interned at both shows the same summer.
1: Yeah, right? yeah, yeah.
0: Were you also, did you get involved with the Lampoon or?
1: I was not involved with the Lampoon, but I did a lot of, I was in an improv group and we were pretty like, committed which is such an embarrassing thing to say now but we were really into improv and then I directed like a and wrote for a sketch show that we put up every year and so okay I did a lot of that and then I was writing for I started writing for like the New Yorker and McSweeney's and stuff when I was still an undergrad and so okay started yeah that was sort of my whole so thing. you didn't
0: do a lampoon or like hasty pudding or any of that no kind of stuff. I did not yeah but as you said you wrote for magazines and you were studying up on the credits of writers.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So you were probably aware of the opportunities, whether it was like the fabled Harvard to SNL pipeline or Harvard to the Simpsons pipeline or.
1: Sure, yeah, I did. I mean, I also, that did sort of feel inaccessible to me because I think all those people in the pipeline were like white men from Connecticut or the tri state. Hey, area. I'm
0: sorry. And- <laughs> I'm a white man. I know. It's <laughs> I, been you. I told you I was a white man from <laughs> Connecticut. <laughs>
1: Um, I think because of that, I was sort of like, oh, this feels like a a path that is not, you know, I was like, I'm down to work really hard and to Mm out-hustle, hopefully, people. And then...
0: I don't know if this makes me feel any better, but as a white man from Connecticut, it didn't feel like those things were open to me. Okay,
1: cool, cool. That does make me feel better. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Of course, when I graduated from college, it was 1993, and the internet wasn't the internet yet, so... Right, right, right. I didn't even... Part of the reason I didn't know is because I didn't know. I didn't know these things were possible. Yeah. <laughs> I had totally. to stumble around and find them for myself. But you came out of the gate strong. I mean, you just said writing for the New Yorker and McSweeney's. So did that make it like a no brainer that you would move straight to New York instead of going to L.A. or?
1: No, you know, that was actually a big dilemma for me. Um... So I ended up writing for those places in college, mostly because I just was too naive to know that you had to really be an adult to try and write for them. And so I submitted and I just didn't tell them I was still in college. And so when I, when stuff started getting published, it was more for fun and I was just excited about it. And I didn't think about it career wise, really. But by the time I graduated, I sort of had like an accidental portfolio of comedy writing and that ended up being really helpful, even though I didn't mean to, I didn't prepare it that way intentionally. Um, and then after I graduated, I, you know, I really like emotionally struggled because I loved college so much and it felt like I was being dumped (laughs) by college and I wanted to keep being there to the point where I like applied to grad school and was really gonna go and then at the last minute realized I, I didn't want to study at all. I had no interest in academia. I was only thinking about grad school because I liked the cocoon of an academic calendar. Sure. Um, And so I I did an acting program in New York because that was the scariest thing I could think of. And I wanted to do something that really terrified me. Uh, And then afterwards, went back home to the Bay Area for a bit, uh, got bored doing random gigs and was like, okay, I'm just going to try and kickstart this comedy thing and then move to New York.
0: So what were you doing the moment that you heard Sandra O oh was hosting the Golden Rose?
1: Oh, what a question. I don't where, know. What where I... were you in
0: your career and your life?
1: I had been in New York for a year, throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck. Uh, I was doing, when I got to New York, I... I was writing for, I was trying, I was like submitting freelancing for all these internet places. I was trying to do a ton of stand up. I was trying to do improv and improv in New York is weirdly extremely expensive where stand up feels free. And so I sort of stopped doing improv. And- it, is,
0: it is weird, isn't it? That you have to pay a lot of money to get involved in improv.
1: I know. And also to do this thing that most people don't want to see anymore. (laughs) I was like, this is not smart. (laughs) Um, I was in a sketch group with my friends. I was sort of just really trying every single angle at comedy to see what I really enjoyed and what what was working. Uh, Yeah. And then I remember hearing that and being so thrilled. I don't know where I was, but it just felt so cool. That was um, the year that, I think that was the year that it was maybe at the tail end of the year that like Crazy Rich Asians came out, and mm-hmm. all the boys I've loved before. And it suddenly felt like people, like you could be Asian and do stuff in Hollywood. Like it felt so thrilling to be alive. <laughs> um, so hearing the Sandra O oh thing was especially great. Yeah.
0: So you do uh, what you paved the way for for Simon Liu to to, to get his Shang Chi job because. <laughs> You, you you just manifested it on Twitter, right? Which is what he did.
1: Oh, <laughs> like, I actually didn't... I actually... I think he genuinely manifested it. Um,
0: where he tweeted at Marvel I, and said, hey, talk to me.
1: Right, right. And Marvel was like, oh, right, you are a hot, talented man. We'll talk to you. <laughs> Whereas I think I got it very randomly and it wasn't really a tweet manifestation, but... Oh, um, okay. So, that? yeah.
0: So so set the record straight on how, how you made this happen or how you... Yeah. Or how you fell I, into this.
1: I, I fell into it because so I, I tweeted about it just because I was so excited about Sandra Oh hosting. I don't think she ever saw it. I don't think she knows that that is something I did. Um, in hindsight, <laughs> extremely mortifying that I tweeted that. <laughs> but everything I've ever done is embarrassing to me now. So I did that. And then this uh, woman, she used to work as an agent, and her name is Priyanka Matu. She used to work as an agent, and she had read a bunch of stuff I'd written. Was is just genuinely a very kind and generous person, I think. And so she saw me, you know, trying and failing to get in, you know, get in, get a foot in the door in comedy. Um, and she knew Andy Sandberg and that mm-hmm. was how I got the job. It was actually okay Yeah.
0: Well, didn't both of you, didn't you and Priyanka both write for Splitsider at the time?
1: I don't know if she was writing for Splitsider at the time. I was Wasn't she like... the
0: one who was the agent writing about,
1: I think that was long after this though.
0: Oh, okay. I thought this was some uh, some primo splitsider networking.
1: No, no. I life. actually I literally just met her for the first time ever last year. Like wow, two okay. and a half, three years after that occurred. Um, I was writing for Splitsider. The person before me, Jenny Nelson, had this column. And I obviously was looking for ways to make money. And so mm-hmm. she, you know, asked if I wanted to take over the column for a little bit, which was just interviewing other comedians.
0: Yeah, there's no future in interviewing other comedians. Let me
1: Yeah. Take- <laughs> no, I mean <laughs> you do a very, very good job of it. I think my questions, I was just like, I'm not cut out for this.
0: <laughs> so you get the you get the gig at the Golden Globes, and that's that bit of serendipity puts you in the same room with three writers for Late Night with Seth Meyers, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow, you really did your research. I'm so impressed. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's what happened. And I then got to meet with everybody at late night, which was so kind of them. And I'd just written packets for other shows and stuff. And so I remember they were like, well, send over those packets. We're curious to see. And I did. And I, yeah, I remember going in to meet with, it was like Mike Shoemaker and Alex Mm Bayes and Seth Meyers. And they were so kind and seemed really genuine and um, very enthusiastic. And I also didn't know it was a, it was like a job interview at all. Like I, I went in wearing like this old gray sweater I have. I didn't know mm-hmm. Seth was going to be there. I didn't know Alex Bayes was going to be there. Um, so I was just like, oh, I'm just going to meet Mike Shoemaker. I think he's cool. I've you know heard about him from Thirty Rock, <laughs> and <Right>. I longtime
0: <laughs> SNL producer,
1: longtime SNL producer, a true legend. I think mm-hmm. genuinely one of the best things about writing for late night is that whenever I tell other people in Hollywood that that's my job, everyone's immediate response is just straight up like, I love Mike Shoemaker. Like he's <laughs> the nicest man in town. And it's true, he is, he's the
0: best. <laughs> so, I mean, late night, they, you know, they have more props to Mike Shoemaker and Seth Myers in yeah. that space. Like they now have a pretty established track record of taking chances on young people who other than having some internet sensibility, ha- don't have a prior late-night history. Yeah. They hired you, great. and then they hired Jeff Wright. Yeah. Straight off of TikTok.
1: Yeah, they also hired before me. I, I actually don't know who the most recent hire before me was, but we have some people who didn't do the traditional comedy pipeline, right? right. So we have, like, Dina Gosowski who's, like, an award-winning journalist, you know, and, like, Ian Morgan, who used to do cue cards for our show. And um, so it's, I think they're just sort of like, if you're funny and you can – do the job, let's do it. There's a guy named Brian Donaldson who worked in IT in Peoria, Illinois, and he just had some really good tweets, and they hired him, and he's, like, such a great writer.
0: How long did it take you to acclimate to 30 Rock and
1: Um, being
0: on staff?
1: I think it, well, culturally, I think I acclimated quite quickly, because everyone is really kind and welcoming, and so I didn't feel uh, emotionally or socially out of place. It really felt like also cause the room, nobody has quit that show in years. So it's a really <laughs> long running room of writers who all know each other very well and like each other. And because of that, it was pretty easy to just, you know, slip in. Um, and then I think workload wise, it took me, I don't know, like five or six months. I made the mistake of continuing to do stand up every single night for the first couple months. And that's when I was like, Oh, I have to stop doing this because I can't. I'm, i my, I don't have enough energy to, do, to be good at both of these things. And so I think once I slowed down on up for a little while to get acclimated to late night, it got a lot easier.
0: Right. It's got to be tough to like think about comedy from nine to five or ten to six, and then leave work and then think about comedy more.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also just physically exhausting. To- go from work to randomly grabbing dinner somewhere to doing a set and then coming home and it's like 10, 11. <laughs> yeah. And you're doing it again. Yeah.
0: So, you know, Seth is good about like giving their writer, giving writers their own segments and yours yeah. is based on, based on your age, right? Yeah, <laughs> Being a millennial, yeah. and, like, What do you know about these old people things?
1: Right, right, right.
0: But do you, okay. But as I went and I double checked the stats, yeah, do you actually do you actually consider yourself a millennial, or do you consider yourself more Gen Z? Because you're right on the line, right?
1: Oh, I am. A, I think I'm like a year or two away from being Gen Z. I feel like a millennial. I think because I was—that's what I was told the whole time <laughs> growing up. They were like, "You're a millennial. This is why you're terrible." And so I've heard that my whole life. Um, in my mind, uh, Gen Z is like—I'm uh, trying to think like millennials i think are destroying industries and gen z is trying to save the world <laughs> and i think i'm more helping destroy industries than i am stopping climate you and i
0: both know the problem is really the boomers
1: yes i mean
0: the boomers
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: (laughs) speaking from gen x it's the boomers
1: yeah yeah we can all agree i taught my grandpa okay boomer because my grandpa's not a boomer he's like older (laughs) if your kids are acting up this is what you can say
0: (laughs) of course that doesn't apply that doesn't even apply in korea because the whole point of the baby boom it's it's when the American soldiers came back from World War Two. Sure. Was... I mean
1: I was just doing it as but, a joke. But if you're <laughs> living in Korea,
0: it's like that's we we don't we didn't experience that. There I
1: think there was a big boom though. But what the was the
0: big boom in Korea in the late fifties after the Korean War?
1: Yeah, but I that is my parents' generation. My grandparents mm-hmm. were born in my grandpa's nineteen twenty nine, my grandma's nineteen thirty one, and then my Mom and her siblings are between late fifties to mid sixties. Right, um, which would be so right okay, after boom the... boomer works perfectly.
0: <laughs> for, your, for your parents?
1: That's what I'm saying is I taught yeah. my mom to say it to his kids.
0: Because <laughs> right, for them, that is the boom time for yeah. us Koreans. Okay. So this brings us back to Korea. So sure. was there any hesitation on your part when you decided to put your family first and go,
1: and go. go back. Um, no, there was no hesitation, which is really was really clarifying for me in terms of what my real priorities are. Uh, because I think before I was also, I mean, I'm sure every millennial, Gen Z, young person, and maybe maybe people of all ages are like this. But I think this is such a specifically like young millennial grind of feeling like you have to be working all the time and sort of equating your self-worth to what you are producing. And um, I think I was really falling into that trap and getting some fulfillment out of it, but not getting as much fulfillment as I was hoping for, which maybe is impossible to actually try and acquire from work. Um, And so when this happened, it was pretty clear. I was like, I care more about my grandparents than any job. I like spending time with my family more than doing work and so i went and i also again i went thinking i'd only be there for a month or two i emailed um once again i emailed mike shoemaker being like Mm -hmm. hello my Mm -hmm. grandma is sick i have to go to korea is that okay and he was like absolutely family is first you gotta go Uh, we can figure it out and um yeah to his credit and the credit of seth and bays and everybody we they were really kind about letting me work from abroad for literally (laughs) two years
0: so yeah. okay. So, what is the time difference?
1: The time difference from the East Coast is thirteen or fourteen hours, depending on daylight savings. So it's a full night day swap.
0: <laughs> how does that? How does that fit with your personality? Were you a morning or a night person before?
1: Uh, I'm a <laughs> I'm a morning person, so it kind of really messed things up for me. But I mean, the really nice silver lining. I will say, I am a very optimistic person, and I mm-hmm. think I am. I generally have a pretty good morale. (laughs) That was like a big, that was like one of my main jobs taking care of my grandma's. I was just like, morale captain. Let's keep, you know, let's hope everybody's in a good mood and feeling good and feeling positive. Um, And so one of the really nice silver linings of working from Korea for late night is that I was up writing jokes at like two in the morning and sending them in by three in the morning or things like that. And uh, my grandma... My grandma was very, very ill and for a long time. And during a stretch of that time, we needed somebody to sort of be up awake with her. Like, I had to be awake while she was sleeping just to make sure she's sleeping okay. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, you know what? This works out great because I have to be working at this time. So my mom or my aunt or whoever else can be sleeping and I'll be up on night duty with grandma. And, um, yeah, so that kind of worked out really perfectly, although it was definitely – a mind fuck <laughs> you know but it was
0: great. And, and then you know you're back in new york for the asian comedy festival but then yes, are you yeah but then are you gonna go back right after yeah or?
1: well i'm going to the asian comedy festival i'm really excited about it huge fan of ed Pokropsky. um Yeah, I'm doing that, and then I'm sort of hopping around the East Coast a lot for various work gigs and shows and job stuff, and um, I'm writing for season two of Pachinko right now, and so I'm kind of, that's all remote, so I can work for... And
0: that has been announced, so you're not... Yes, (laughs) yeah! (laughs) You're not breaking any protocol.
1: Right, 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 yeah. Um, Yeah, so, sorry, my answer was so rambly, but yeah, I am briefly in New York, and I'm excited about the Asian Comedy Festival.
0: Well spending so much of the last two years back in Korea, though. Yeah. And actually, because you grew up in California, you didn't even grow up in Korea, right? Right, so, right, yeah. So how has, how has that experience changed you as a comedy writer?
1: Oh, what a wonderful question. I mean, I will say growing up, I went to Korea like three or four times a year because my dad worked for an airline company that was based oh, nice. in Korea. So my K-A-L brother and I. Uh No, he works for Asiana Airlines. okay. My Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, my brother and I once, like, tallied up how long we had lived there, and it was something like four years of our lives had been spent in Korea, which is never consecutively. And this was back when I was, like, 22 maybe. So it was, like, a significant chunk of my time. And then, um, yeah, and so I, I feel very comfortable in Korea. I feel I'm fluent in the language. When I'm there, people just assume I'm from Korea, and so I can move through society. They're feeling very normal, and that was honestly – incredible i being in america i think i'm off i'm very <laughs> i think as any probably any asian american person will tell you um whenever you get too comfortable somebody will sort of question whether or not you are from america or whether you belong here and either a small mm-hmm. or a big way and uh when i was in korea everyone just assumed i was korean and that i belonged there and didn't confuse me for another Asian person and didn't, you know, recognize me when I came back to the coffee shop the next day. Like they'd be like, Oh, you were here yesterday. And that kind of thing is something that has just does not happen to me in the U S and I felt so thrilled by all these small mundane moments that I think a lot of white people in America really take for granted. And um, yeah, that was incredible. And I think really solidified my sense of self and really made me not care about, uh, the way other people think about my identity because I mm-hmm. felt so self-assured in it and I hope that's a permanent change. I hope that's not a temporary phase for me.
0: Has it also allowed you to have a different or an added perspective on just what a great influence Korean entertainment has had? Like each of the last three years, I mean, Bong Joon-ho with Parasite, all of, all of Bong's, all of, all of his movies are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But then you know, Parasite winning Best Picture. But then, and then the next year, Minari comes out. Yeah. And then last yeah. year was all about Squid Game.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really incredible. It's super, it's super thrilling because I feel like when I was growing up, I'm from the Bay Area where there are lots of Asian people, and even still, nobody knew that I was Korean. And I remember getting asked like, when I said I was Korean, they would be like, "Is that more like China or Japan?" It was a question I got quite a lot growing up. And so. And I'm, I'm 27. I just turned 27. And so that's like not that long ago that people just didn't really know what this country was and what kind of stuff it made. And so that's been really cool. I, when I was in Korea, I did a bunch of, you know, like meetings and stuff to try and figure out if I could work on stuff there. And I think because entertainment, you know, largely thanks to streaming platforms is becoming more globalized. I definitely want to work on Korean projects and stuff going forward.
0: Well, and you're you're writing for Pachinko, so which is the, I am writing for Pachinko, which is yeah. the next, which is the next big Global crossover. Thing. Yeah. What do, what do you think it is about about Korean movies and TV shows that that are able to have such wide stream appeal that that other Asian cultures or or even other European cultures haven't been able to crack?
1: Oh man, I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> I don't mean- yeah, I don't know, because there are also other Korean things where I'm like, I can't believe this isn't the biggest hit in the world. You know, so it's like it's kinda of random, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I'm sure other countries feel the same way where they're like, We have something that we think is should be huge. It should be a phenomenon. But
0: And nobody um, cares.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean I I love BTS. I'm so excited. But <laughs> they're so big, I think they're phenomenal. Oh well, yeah, I
0: didn't even yeah. mention BTS. <laughs> 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 Don't come for me, BTS family.
1: <laughs> I mean, they're genuinely such talented, sweet boys. <laughs> they're so beautiful.
0: <laughs> not, not as hot as your hot grandfather,
1: though, right? Yeah, I mean, weird for me to say he's hot, <laughs> but I mean, yeah.
0: you do that for the sake of comedy, though.
1: Right? <laughs> oh yeah, we um, he's very handsome, and so we always tease him. Like our family always teases him for being very handsome, and he gets really embarrassed.
0: <laughs> um. So, you know, I've kept you for over a half hour. Oh, that's
1: um, okay. You are such a kind interviewer. I'm really touched that you read about me beforehand. That's so nice of
0: you. <laughs> well, that's the journalism part. Like I right. just try to do my homework. So I didn't know you just turned 27, but, hmm. you know, coming from where I sit as a Gen X white guy, it feels like you still have your your entire life and career ahead of you. But oh, cool. You're already, like on Late Night with Seth Meyers, you're writing for Pachinko. Do you allow yourself to, like, think ahead about, like, what what further goals you have for yourself?
1: Yeah, I do. I also kind of really enjoy how murky the future feels, too, because I think um my real goal is just to make sure that I'm always working on stuff that I find really fun and rewarding mm-hmm. um, rather than following any set path. I also... I think especially after spending so much time with my family in Korea, I was like, oh, the most important thing to me is, you know, getting to spend time with with them and with my friends and hanging out. And so I always want to make sure that that is taking precedent over, you know, getting a job or, or working all the time or things like that. Yeah.
0: Who are you most uh, interested to catch up with at the Asian Family Festival?
1: What a great question. Well, I'm really excited to meet Kathy Kim. I've never met her before. And uh, she's the person I'm interviewing for the show, uh, which is on May 6th, I think, (laughs) Saturday um, at Caveat. So I grew up watching a lot of PBS Kids, so I'm really, really excited to talk with her about that. And um, yeah, I guess like Ed, who organizes everything, is such a legend and never, you know, makes a fuss about how much he's working. And he really does such a good job spotlighting so many asian comics um dylan adler is someone i think is so funny and he's also performing yeah it's going to be a great weekend
0: well it was a lot of fun catching up with you Chi. i really oh my
1: gosh thank you it was truly so nice to meet you wow <laughs> <laughs>
0: This episode of The Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening.